Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Home and Home, a radio.com sports original. We are brought to you, as always, by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. A lot to get into on this Tuesday, including a crack in the dam. That is the NCAA business model. The latest uh, from the Monday night football game, the snooze fest between two 0-3 teams. The Steelers are now in the win column. Do you feel much better about them? Also, a guy who spent seven seasons in that rivalry. Vontez Burfecht suspended the rest of the season. Some passionate opinions on the way from Ross Tucker in Pennsylvania. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. A busy show to get to. But we start, before we get to any of that, Ross Tucker who is here in a clean shirt, which I really commend, Ross Tucker. By the way, nice clean shirt. Um, I want to ask you about this, and it's a surprise. It's Dwayne Wade. I have a Hall of Famer in my corner. This show was founded on an argument over Flip Cup versus Beer Pong. Dwayne Wade, future Hall of Famer, three-time NBA champ, played Flip Cup at the Nebraska-Ohio State game over the weekend and said, it felt exactly like the 2006 NBA Finals. He was down 0-2 and came back to win 3-2. He tweeted about it and said, again, let me just remind you, it felt like the NBA Finals. Do you have a Hall of Famer, an NBA champ in your corner? How do you know he likes it more than beer pong? There's, he's not tweeting about beer pong, man. He's tweeting videos of him playing flip cup at Nebraska and comparing it to winning an NBA championship. Well, first of all, I can relate. Whether it's beer pong or flip cup, I can relate. Dwayne, welcome to retirement, my friend. Once you retire as a professional athlete, my only competitive outlets – are beer pong and flip cup, and I take them irrationally seriously. I don't play golf because of my back. I can't play hoops, pick up hoops because of my back and my right knee. I don't really do anything other than watch football, eat, and drink. So my athletic activities are beer pong and flip cup. And I'm, I, you know, I love this. I love that Dwayne Wade was in Nebraska with his wife, Gabrielle Union. They did a good job on game day making the they picks. She, she, Dude, she knows her Nebraska football. I already oh, yeah. liked her. Now I love her. She knows her Nebraska football. That was amazing. Tip of the cap. Salute to you, Gabrielle Union. But I love – so here's the thing that people don't realize, Dave. 
Dwayne Wade, and I guess he probably could have done it while he was still playing in for like a September game. But when you're actually a player, you don't get to tailgate usually. Like, and even now as a broadcaster, Dave, every game I do, this weekend I'll be doing a huge game actually, Tulane at Army, huge game for both those programs on Saturday at West Point. And then Sunday, I'll be at the Jets at the Eagles. Sam Darnold may or may not play. We're waiting on the latest uh, spleen imaging. Never said that before about a football player to see if his spleen has decreased in size yet or not. But every time, Dave Briggs, I drive into one of these stadiums and I look around and I see the smoke coming up and I see the red solo cups and I smell the food. I both hate myself and love myself. I love that I get to be broadcasting games for money. I hate that I can't go over and have a couple of daddy sodas, play a little pong, eat some brisket or wings or whatever they're cooking. Oh, so anyway, I love that Dwayne Wade has played in the NBA forever. And he's like, you know what? I'm retired now. Damn it, I'm going to Nebraska, and I'm playing flip cup before the game. I mean, and it was a good way he did that because it was about 35 nothing three minutes into that game. Ohio State demolished Nebraska. But I yeah. love that Dwayne Wade was into it. I love that we talk about stuff like that here on Radio.com, on the Radio.com app, Radio.com slash home. But that's I'm not giving you that. I, he's a basketball player. That guy likes beer pong more than flip cup. Let's get him on the show. We'll ask him. I guarantee he likes pong more. He's a basketball player. He probably just sits there and just drains cups all day like it's his J-O-B. Dush, 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 dush. <laughs> there it is. The three-point shot sound effect from Ross Tucker. Um, Dwayne Wade, if you're listening, we know you are. You got to come on home and home. You got to break this down. You got to break the tie. We do have that common thread that we're pathetic. We're old. That is now how we compete over <laughs> drinking games. Dwayne Wade must come on this program and break, break the tie. It, I guarantee you he's in my corner because of the spirit, because of the enthusiasm, because of the camaraderie that comes with Flip Cup as opposed to boring ass beer pong. But we move on. And we talk about the most controversial subject in the NFL. We'll get to that Bengals-Steelers Monday nighter. But how about a guy that played seven seasons in that Bengals-Steelers Monday night series? Talking, of course, about Vontez Burfecht, who is now suspended rest of the NFL season for that ugly hit on the Colts tight end, Jack Doyle, helmet to helmet, Doyle a defenseless runner. He was thrown out of that game, perfect, and it wasn't just that he was thrown out of the game. It's that he walked out of there smiling to the crowd, proud of himself, what he had done, even blowing kisses to the crowd. This is not a remorseful athlete. He is headed back, according to reports, from London to appeal this season-long suspension, by the way, the longest ever in the NFL, for an on-the-field infraction. Here's what John Runyon, the VP of Football Operations, says. You have continued to flagrantly abuse rules designated to protect yourself and your opponents from unnecessary risk. 
He had 13 suspensions and fines in those seven seasons with the Bengals. And Ross, you were passionate about this yesterday. My question to you is, I understand every time the NFL Players Association and D. Smith defends their players in these contract squabbles, even in some suspensions and fines, because they don't want to set a precedent. For example, the Patriots, they want to hold the Patriots accountable for not having done their homework and to for committing to a guy, for having him practice and play a game. I get that. But why in the world am I not hearing from more current NFL players? The only one I heard from was Ben Watson on Twitter that said better late than never. And why would the NFLPA defend Vontez Perfect against a season-long suspension that many feel, including you, should be permanent? Well, so first of all, Dave, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this again. Kudos to the NFL for suspending him for the rest of the year. To my knowledge, the longest on-field suspension to this point had been five games for Albert Hainsworth when he stepped on Andre Girard's face after Andre's helmet came off. Not a good scene, to say the least. Andre had to get 30 stitches. So... I like that the NFL suspended him for the rest of the year. I don't know what the arbitrator will do. I laid out yesterday all of the horrific things that Vontez Perfect has done throughout his career. I have not heard yet, Dave, whether or not the NFLPA is supporting Vontez Perfect and or representing him in his appeal. I know he's appealing. And I know his agent, Lamont Smith, called it a football play. That's laughable. And he's representing him. Obviously, Lamont Smith, if Vontez Perfect's suspended for the rest of the year and doesn't get any more money, guess who else doesn't get any more money? Lamont Smith. So, of course, he's going to represent his client. This is his 10th on-field transgression in terms of overly aggressive behavior of a physical nature, not the PEDs, which is a whole other story, not the middle finger. This is his 10th one. I would like to hope that the NFLPA does not represent him because the NFLPA represents all 1,800 plus players that are on NFL rosters in some way, shape, or form right now. Active roster, injured reserve, practice squad. This is a guy in Vontez Perfect who is putting those other 1,800 players and himself, like John Runyon said, at risk over and over and over again. The NFLPA, Dave, in my mind, should be pushing for a permanent ban of Vontez Perfect. He is a menace to the other 1,800-plus players that they represent. Think about how we all would have felt if, God forbid, something life-altering happened to Jack Doyle on Sunday when Vontez Perfect launched himself like a missile for that helmet-to-helmet hit with the crown of his helmet to a man that was on his knees. Think about how we all would have felt if Doyle got a bad concussion, knocked out unconscious, maybe even brain damage, paralysis, all the things that, that could happen. We, we all would have felt awful 
And at some point, Dave, and I wrote this in my column this week, at some point the NFL is culpable and thus liable. I mean, you tell me. Let's pretend Jack Doyle's your brother, Dave Briggs. Yeah. And let's say Vontez Perfect gives him a bad, bad concussion and Doyle can never play football again. Do you sue the NFL for letting a guy who's already had nine on-field transgressions do that to your brother? I'm t- I-, I hate that we are an overly litigious society, but I would. I'd sue the crap out of the NFL for that. Yeah. There is no question about it. Legal action would certainly be an option that I would consider, that anyone in their right mind would consider. And the NFL clearly is concerned about this. And they don't need to just look at those 10, 10 infractions from Vontez Perfect. They can go back before that. I was wondering, like, what was his track record before this? So I went to his college days at Arizona State. Listen to this. Vontez Perfect had 22 personal fouls in 37 games at Arizona State. He should have been on a short leash when he entered the league, let alone after 10 infractions. The league is all about player safety. At least they say they're going to have to prove it now. They went for the longest suspension in league history. Will they go beyond that? Will the players defend him? The players union, that should be interesting. D. Smith if you're out there, if anybody talks with D. Smith, we would love to hear from you. What is your comment? Will you stand on his corner? And why aren't more current NFL players echoing the words of Ross Tucker? I'd like to hear from current guys calling out perfect, not just the former players. One former player who's defending him, Bill Romanowski, who is arguably the dirtiest player in NFL history. He went on TMZ Sports and said it is bullshit that he got suspended for the rest of the season, that it should only have been a fine, maybe a one- or a two-game suspension. And with that conversation, I ask you, is it perfect? Is it Romo? Is it Jack Lambert? Jack Tatum? Uh, and Damakung Su had a dirty period. Some feel Rodney Harrison was one of the dirtiest players that for a guy that covered him for a number of years. I wouldn't even put him in that category. I thought Rodney just played a variety of really tough in-your-face football who is the dirtiest player in the history of this proud game? Is it without a doubt perfect? Man, some of those guys back in the day uh, right. were pretty dirty. I've seen some videos of Conrad Dobler, uh, the former offensive lineman for the Cardinals, among other teams. That guy uh, was pretty dirty for sure. And that's, by the way, the weakest argument, Dave, I've seen out there, where people say, 20 years ago, nobody would have even thought anything about that perfect hit on Jack Doyle. 20 years ago, that who nobody would have nobody would have cared. You know what? That might be true. And that's actually very scary that that might be true. But in my mind, that has no relevance whatsoever to what he's doing now in 2019. There's a lot of things that 20 years ago would have been fine that are no longer okay. That is the worst argument when I hear guys say 25 years ago, nobody would say anything. I mean, I won't even get into some of the things people said. You ever watch some of the TV from 25 years ago, Dave? Like in what people are able to say about all kinds of different things. The world changes and you got to keep up with it. It's not okay to stay stuck in 25 years ago. 
Yeah, that would be objection relevance if that were in a courtroom. That is totally irrelevant things that went on in that period. So one last question on this before we touch on that game last night. Paul Gunther, he's the Raiders defensive coordinator. He and John Gruden wanted this guy on the football team, and they also made him recently a team captain. Is this the brand that the Raiders have coveted? I think that... Well, I think Gruden likes guys like these. I don't think Mike Mayock really does the GM. I think Perfect, you know, he, he's a tough one for a coach and for other teammates because he is the kind of guy that you're glad he's on your side. He is the kind of guy that I think sets the tone in offseason workouts and practices during training camp. I can see how he's a leader. There were reports that he's the one that broke it up when Mike Mayock and Antonio Brown got into an altercation. Vontez Perfect was the peacemaker. Vontez Perfect was the voice of reason. But when he gets inside those white lines in a game, he just can't control himself. He just can't help it. It's not okay. He should never be allowed inside those white lines again. I fear that the suspension will be reduced, that Vontez Perfect will play again, and that we're really just rolling the dice as to whether or not he does something that could be truly life-altering to another man out on one of these NFL fields. And I'm not – I probably said this yesterday, Dave, but I'm not like some prude, right? I played seven years – I love hitting people. I love violence. That's what I miss. Yeah, I miss the money and other stuff, but and camaraderie and blah, blah, blah. You know what I really miss? I miss running into another dude as hard as I possibly could. I loved that. I crave that. Working out and stuff, it's not the same. It's not. But you can't do what he's done out there. You can't intentionally attempt to injure people you can't be that malicious. There are plenty of legal hits out there where you can deliver forceful blows and send a big-time message without going out of your way to do things that could do great harm to one of the other guys in the NFL. And to all the national columnists out there, as we wrap up and put a bow on this, Comparing the Jonathan Jones hit on Josh Allen to what Vontez Burfecht did on Sunday is also irrelevant. And many national columnists, many that I respect, said the NFL is hypocritical and that those hits were similar. And that is bullshit. To, to use Romanowski's word, that is a ridiculous comparison. Josh Allen has the protection of a slide. He could have gone into a slide. He was also lowering his head and continuing to charge forward. And I thought Jonathan Jones, to me, looked very clearly like a guy who went in there to make a 100% clean hit. In fact, I thought he led with his shoulder. I thought it was Josh Allen lowering the crown of his helmet that actually made that appear like a dirty hit. That one is being debated on the Internet. And now to that last game last night of week four that Burfecht played in for so many seasons. Not the ideal matchup on Monday Night Football. Two 0-3 teams. The Steelers dominate this one courtesy of eight sacks on Andy Dalton. Mason Rudolph, amazing, right? 
well, at least in the scorebook, 24 of 28. I think I think over half of those passes were at or near the line of scrimmage. This was all about the defensive pressure. Jalen Samuels, James Conner both had 10 carries. They both had eight catches. And Jalen Samuels was even three for three passing. Do you feel much better about Pittsburgh or about Mason, uh, the, the replacement for Big Ben, after last night's performance, or is it just a one-off? I feel better. I wouldn't say that I feel much better. we got to eliminate, by the way, these you know jet sweeps where the quarterback catches it and like does like a, a tap pass to the guy coming on the jet sweep, and that counts as a, as a pass and a completion. I mean, that's how Jalen Samuels got his completions. That's how Mason Rudolph got some of his completions. That is laughable to me. Absolutely laughable. I thought Rudolph looked better. You know, I like that the Steelers ran the offense through Connor and Samuels and leaned on their offensive line. Uh, But the story of this game, in my mind, Dave, was the Bengals' offensive line against the Steelers' front. Eight sacks. Eight sacks. I don't know how many quarterback hits. I think it was like 12, 16 quarterback pressures. It was a brutal night for Andy Dalton and the Bengals. You know, their quarterback coach, who's also the head coach, Zach Taylor, who handles the quarterbacks, he said that he told the offensive tackles, we, we want to see what you guys can do one-on-one. We need you guys to show what you can do one-on-one against the Steelers. That was a really bad idea, Zach. Really bad idea. They can't do it. Andre Smith at left tackle and Bobby Hart, neither one of those guys should probably even be starting in the NFL. They got abused over and over again by Cameron Hayward, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt. It was really an embarrassing performance for the Bengals, considering they had the lead 3-0, Deontay Johnson fumbled. They also had a stop of the Steelers on fourth down and one early in the game. They just couldn't get anything going. And I don't know what you're feeling good about right now if you're a Bengals fan. I'm not saying they should have kept Marvin Lewis, but you know the honeymoon period is expiring quickly for Zach Taylor. I don't know how they played that well at Seattle and at Buffalo to almost win both those games. And then you compare that to the Niners and Steelers games, brutal. There's some stiff competition for that number one pick, if in fact it is Tua. Washington looks like they are going to compete for it. Certainly Miami, the leader in the clubhouse after the first quarter, uh, looks like they are locked in on Tua. But I'm not so sure about Cincinnati and Zach Taylor. I think you saw the difference in a good game plan and not. They adjusted to what Mason Rudolph is. High percentage completions, keep him near the line of scrimmage. One deep ball, admittedly, to Deontay Johnson. I could make that throw. It wasn't a tremendous throw. Johnson was wide open for what amounted to be a 43-yard touchdown. Yeah, Zach Taylor, a rough first go in the NFL. Coming up in just one sec, we're going to talk about a crack in the dam of the NCAA business model. How significant is the law that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, signed into law yesterday, hanging out with LeBron James. How significant is it? We'll talk about that in just one minute. But first, hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. 
Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, and she knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience, invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. Results like that, no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That is ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. To that crack in the NCAA's business model, and it was a significant because it's the state of California. This is no small state. This is one of the biggest players in Division I sports. Governor Gavin Newsom on the The Shop show on HBO with LeBron James, Ed O'Bannon, Diana Taurasi, hanging out and signing a bill, the Fair Pay to Play Act in California, which allows athletes to profit from their image, name, and or likeness. No, this does not provide for schools to pay players. It does not force the NCAA to pay players either. Nonetheless, the NCAA is not so thrilled about it. They say, as more states consider their own specific legislation related to this topic, it's clear that a patchwork of different laws from different states will make unattainable the goal of providing a fair and level playing field for 1,100 campuses and nearly half a million student athletes nationwide. Why do they say a patchwork? Because New York has a similar effort has been started. South Carolina has a similar effort that has been started. And Florida, as of yesterday, has a state rep who is starting similar legislation. Once California does things in the business world, it spreads because they are so massive that businesses have to adjust to that huge population. In this case, they have to adjust to all the Division I schools in California. You saw this happen with emissions and cars and how they are reducing pollution. Well, the car makers had to adjust for one state. That's why the NCAA has until 2023 to step up and figure this out, Ross. Do you like this bill or do you see potential pitfalls down the road? Well, I think the answer to that's both. Uh, I do like this bill. I do think that NCAA athletes, especially the star athletes, should get paid for their name and likeness and endorsements. I mean, I'll give you an example, Dave, right where I live in central Pennsylvania. I went, and I guess he's getting paid for it now, but you go to Dick's Sporting Goods right down the street, they're still selling Saquon Barkley Penn State jerseys. Although now, since he's in the NFL, it says Barkley on the back, which is kind of funny because Penn State's name, you know, Penn State's jerseys okay. don't really say the players' names on the back. But I guess they figured out that they can sell it. Once the guy leaves the college, put his name on the back, keep selling it. I guess Saquon's getting some of that. 
That I get. What's always bothered me is going to a college campus and they only sell a couple jerseys at the bookstore and there's no there's no name on the back of the jerseys. It just always so happens, Dave, to be the jersey numbers of the two or three best players. What a coincidence. I always thought that was garbage that the universities could be making money off that player's jersey. I never liked that. So I always felt like there there should be a way that a player gets compensated for that. And I do think that I'd rather see the player, if they have that kind of value, like a Tebow, like a Cam Newton, right now, you know, guys like Tua Tungavailoa, I think that if they have created that value for their university, that they should be compensated for that. What makes me nervous about this is there's really no way to have any type of proper oversight over it, right? I mean, you know, who's to say what the market value is for these guys? So what ends up happening is I love the idea of Zion and guys like that getting paid while they're in college. But what's going to happen, and people will say, and look, we're going to have Barton Simmons, who's the director of national recruiting for 24-7 sports in about 10 minutes. And he knows this world better than anybody. And he disagrees with me. And quite frankly, he probably knows more than I do. I'm willing to admit that. But what I would say is, What you're going to end up happening, Dave, is you're going to have college coaches on the road being able to offer 14, 15-year-olds marketing guarantees, name and likeness guarantees, because there will be boosters that, and they already do to some extent, under the table. Now it'll be out in the open that really want to try to propel their universities to the next level. And they're willing to spend money to do it. And they'll be offering 14 and 15-year-olds, you know, name and likeness guarantees to commit and sign with their school. And maybe that's great, Dave. Maybe you say there's a market and those people should get it. Maybe that cuts out the shady middlemen. And I'm sure that's what Barton might say. It just feels weird. It feels like boosters will be running college football more than they already do. And when you think of the dollar figure that it would mean for, say, a Duke to get a Zion Williamson, an Alabama to get a Tua, um, the dollar figures that have been thrown out there that we saw in the FBI papers, for example, when it comes to Arizona, there was the Nike papers, Michael Avenatti, you saw the highest dollar figures you were seeing in there was 70, 80, 90 thousand dollars. And to your point, my biggest concern is boosters have an unlimited purse Let's just say the late T. Boone Pickens, who just passed away, a wonderful man, he gave $650 million total over his life to the University of Oklahoma State and their athletics program. So what's to stop the next T. Boone Pickens? Let's just call him Phil Knight up there at Oregon, who has a pretty good tie with the university and wants the biggest stars to play in Oregon. He's worth more than 20 billion dollars the founder of nike what's to stop bill knight from saying well no it's not worth 20 grand to me it's worth two million dollars for me 
to come and, and sign some autographs or coach a camp that is also part of this legislation. I fear that, like you, this is a part of the recruiting process out in the open. It'd be nice if, one, we could have some regulation, and two, this would stay away from recruiting. But you wonder, if the NCAA doesn't catch up quick, and they have three years to do it, who's going to be that one player that puts this to the test? My guess is that as a college basketball player, because at worst, if the NCAA tries to find some way to keep them off the field, or the court in this case, that's only one year, that one year they have to play in college basketball. If it's a football player, you could get tied up for years in a back and forth with the NCAA. All it takes is one, in this case, one state, and down the road, one player to challenge everything the way Ed O'Bannon did with the NCAA video game lawsuit. He was with LeBron James, by the way, on the shop. Last night, let's hear from LeBron James in his new Lakers uniform talking about uh, the NCAA, talking about this bill and why he supports it. For sure, I would have been one of those kids if I would have went off to Ohio State or if I would have went off to any one of these uh, you know, big time colleges where uh, pretty much that 23 jersey would have got sold all over the place without my name on the back, but everybody would have known the likeness. Uh, uh, my body would have been on the NCAA basketball game 2004. And um, the Schoenstein Center uh, would have been sold out every single night if I was there. Um, so, and uh, you know, coming from the just, you know, from me and my mom, we didn't have anything. We wouldn't have been able to benefit at all from it. Um, and the university would have been able to capitalize on everything. Um, you know, that I would have been there for that year or two or whatever. So, um, I understand what those kids are going through. I feel for those kids um, who've been going through it for so long. So, that's why it was personal to me. Surprised he didn't take that one step further in the direction of his own son, Bronny, who I think is 14 and just a couple of years away from, who knows, maybe being able to cash in and be the one player that puts this to the test. He is certainly already being recruited and looks like an elite college basketball player and maybe something beyond. But yes, he is still young. How about another NBA player who plays in California? Draymond Green with some pointed words about the NCAA? You know, as a former college athlete, that's exciting. Uh, you, you spend so much time in college broke and with no money, and yet everybody else was living very well. Um, the university's making a ton of money off your likeness. I mean, it is the most, like, I think he used the word bankrupt model. Uh, and it is. It's like, it doesn't. It, it does not make any sense. I can make all the money off your likeness, and the moment you decide to make some money off your likeness, you can't play here anymore. You you're ineligible. You're suspended. It's backwards, and you know someone needs to force this dictatorship to change, because that's exactly what it is. It's no. It's no different than any country that's ran by dictators. The NCAA is a dictatorship. No college athletes have a voice, really. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of seeing people get ripped off. I'm tired of seeing these college athletes being ripped off. And, you know, the president of the NCAA just kind of sit back and, you know, he say a little bit, but don't say much at all because he don't have to. And now you got to speak up. And I'd love to see what his response is going to be to this. Great. Outside of, oh, well, you're going to be ineligible. Like, ah, get out of here with that. Nobody worry about that no more, man.
Is the NCAA a dictatorship, as Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors said? And how do you expect Mark Emmert and the NCAA to make their next move now? So I don't know that I'd call them a dictatorship. They they are a monopoly at this point when it comes to amateur athletics, amateur athletics, uh, air quotes for those of you that are just listening at radio.com slash home or on the radio.com app. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, they're threatening to say that the California schools can't participate in the NCAA. I think that was a bluff by them. And I think that they realize other states are going to follow suit. And frankly, the NCAA, in my mind, on some level, Dave, has created this mess because they're kind of chasing their tail now, right? Like if they had come up with their own rule and allowed these athletes to compensate greater earlier, it wouldn't have had to have happened at the state level. And then you wouldn't have the, the awkwardness of some states have it, some states don't. How do you handle the ones that do or don't? They're going to have to come up with their some rule, and the rule is not going to be California schools can't participate in NCAA tournaments. It just can't happen because there's going to be more states that go this way, and that's just yeah. not that's not functional. I know a lot of people think this will be the end of the NCAA because it's the end of amateurism. It's uh, it, it it's going to be a significant. I don't think people, and I'm not sure. Listening to them, even LeBron and Draymond Green really understand the power of this and how much this is going to change things. I think listening to them talk, they think it's like NCAA is the same, but these players can get money for selling their jerseys. It's going to be a lot, lot more than that now that there are loopholes and ways in which schools and boosters can legally pay these kids it's going to be the wild wild west and again some will argue it already is but not like this uh i mean this will be very interesting because who's to say what the value is of a guy's autograph who's to say what the value is of tua going to your football camp over the summer who's to say if you are a car dealer and trust me there are some very wealthy car dealers in this country. Some are billionaires. Who's to say what it's worth to that guy to have Zion Williamson or someone else at their car dealership on a Saturday afternoon? That is going to be difficult. Regulation is needed. You mentioned the positioning of the NCAA. Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, he said, quote, they won't be members of the NCAA, referencing those California schools, that's ridiculous. No chance of that because 24 Division I college basketball programs exist in the state of California, number one in the country. Only Texas has more college football programs than the state of California. They are the biggest, they are the baddest, and that's why you have to adjust to the state of California. We're going to get a lot more on this from Barton Simmons of CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports. What would this mean to the guys in recruiting, would it be the wild, wild west? And does he see a potential pitfall in this NCAA legislation? Barton Simmons, right after a quick break. 
California Governor Gavin Newsom signing into law the Fair Pay to Play Act alongside who else? LeBron James on the HBO show The Shop, an absolute game changer for the NCAA and those schools in the state of California. How will this impact the country when it comes to college football, basketball, and other recruits? Let's talk about it with Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports and from CBS Sports as well. Barton, good to see you. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. Uh, Conan O'Brien used to shine that flashlight under his chin and say in the year 2000. All right, so I want you to look into the year 2023 and tell me how this will work for some of those prized recruits that you cover when they can sign with the California school. How, if this bill, which has law, how will it work? Well, I think one important distinction that I would make is that there's only a few recruits or players or prospects or whatever you want to call them that this will actually impact. I mean, if you think about it in terms of who's really marketable, who's really someone that, that uh, a booster is, is willing to um, shell out some money and, and set up some name and likeness um, sort of uh, uh, job for or, or or shadow sort of funding for. I mean, there's only a handful of players that actually would would draw the attention and and the market to to get paid, so to speak. Um, the majority of college football players, college basketball players, college athletes, this would have zero impact on. If anything, it just sort of removes some of the unnecessary. Uh, punitive issues that would come along with signing autographs, accepting a free sandwich, uh, or, or, or accepting a free tattoo. Um, I, I think that the bottom line with this is that the same schools that are successful already would have the same advantages they already do. Um, and, and I think that while there'd be a lot of sort of unforeseen, unintended consequences, ultimately, the, the same sort of status and, and tiers that exist in college sports right now would already be there. We would just actually have a few unique, rare players that would be able to sort of collect on their market value. And some of those guys, that market value is immense. Uh, but for most of us, uh, I played college sports. I wouldn't have gotten much of anything. I can assure you of that. And, and uh, <laughs> I'm Ross played in the NFL. And, and Ross, I bet you you wouldn't have gotten much of anything as well, just, just to be honest. It's just that's the way – I think the market would have worked. Well, here's what here's where I disagree with you, though, Barton. And I understand what you're saying. I think if you're looking at it through the prism, and this is how a lot of people seem to be looking at it, which is how much are these guys really worth if these organizations, these car dealerships, whatever, these boosters are really trying to monetize their name and likeness? I don't really think that's how it's going to end up playing out. I think that there are enough boosters out there that really want to see their team have success that you don't think, Barton, we're going to see college coaches being able to tell juniors and sophomores in high school that they'll get at least a twenty-five dollars or $50,000 per year marketing name and likeness guarantee from – uh, T. Boone Pickens Oil Company or Nike through Phil Knight or whatever. I personally think there's no way to know for sure what the value of these guys are, so these, these prospects are. I personally think this just legalizes 
And maybe that's a good thing. I'm, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I, I'm just saying I think that there are boosters out there that will essentially have a payroll and they'll tell the coaches, use it as you see fit to give us the best team because on Saturdays, I like going to Stillwater or Eugene and I like I want us to win. And if you got to give all 24 commits, if you got to get the top players, if you need to give them these marketing likeness guarantees, yeah, I'll have them turn the light on and light lights off at Nike so I can make sure Oregon is in the college football playoff. No, I, I agree that that's a very real possibility of something that that could and, and probably will in, in some capacity happen. But I think, and, and you you even said it, Ross. Like, I got is it even a bad thing? And I think that's the key here. Is, is let's I mean, a lot of people in this debate and this discussion need to shift their thinking. To, I mean, because we're all trained to think, oh, kid gets money, that is bad. Is it bad? Is it bad if, if, if T. Boone Pickens or, or uh, someone that's in that similar role is setting up some sort of uh, a framework for players to get paid uh, to, to endorse whatever? Um, those kids are going to get some money now. And, and that program is, is going to create that infrastructure to allure recruits and, and and sort of create a, an environment for them on campus where they can maybe make some money off their name and likeness. Um, but ultimately, what's what's wrong? Who loses? Who loses in that debate? And and you can make it a you know um, create the 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 argument that well look it 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 creates an unlevel playing field. So there's already an unlevel playing field. Uh, the, the 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 playing field is tilted towards Alabama and Clemson and these programs that have uh, an incredible uh, infrastructure and incredible facilities, incredible um, football program that has, has, has the, the funding and the alumni base to really drive it. Well, uh, all this would do would create new avenues for other programs to cycle up. Um, Oklahoma State's a great example. If T. Boone Pickens, um, rest in peace, if T. Boone Pickens uh, were to decide that, look, uh, we're going to do what it takes. I'm going to pay kids uh, a significant amount of money to show up here on campus. Let's just let's just make the argument here. I, I'm going to pay this kid, Kid X, a million dollars to come and sign autographs once a month, and and that's just kind of the 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 um, you know that's how we're going to get him on campus. That's how we're going to frame this. And that kid, as a 17 year old, signs with Oklahoma State because he's going to promise this million dollar contract for his name and likeness. Well, for one, that kid may very well bust. As a 17-year-old kid, we don't, how many five stars don't make it? Now, a lot of them don't. And so a lot of these boosters um, who are gonna start shelling out this cash to, to high school players, as, as so many people expect they will, may realize that, hey, the return on investment might not be quite as good as I thought it was in paying 17, 18, 19-year-old kids. Maybe I need to just go back to funding the university, funding the facilities, funding the athletic department, um, and, and, and go the old-fashioned way. And maybe I'll shell out a couple $10,000 here and there uh, to help these kids out. But ultimately, only a handful of players, only the Zion Williamses of the world, really demand that huge market value that shifts and, and, til and, and tilts the scales one way or the other. 
And right now there is no effort in, in North Carolina. There is no effort in the state of Texas, who has the most Division I college football teams. There's no effort going on in the state of Oklahoma either. So watch those states that are so pivotal to this debate. If we get to 2023 and the NCAA hasn't fixed this, if they haven't regulated it, if they haven't set a given value and had the, over, the NCAA oversee this, how will it play out then? Well, I mean, that's that's the fascinating thing here is I mean, you got presidents and, and athletic directors talking about how they're not going to schedule California programs because that gives an, a, an unfair advantage, not even playing field. I, I think probably I mean, I think what I hope would happen <clears throat> is you see other suit states start to follow suit. Um, you see a little bit of a movement and and uh, there, there's sort of a, a slow trickle where this this starts to spread and and eventually it hits a critical mass. I, I really don't know how it plays out um, for California relative to, to the rest of the country in 2023. I think that's the most interesting and, and, and you know, unknown part of this whole debate. Um, but I think because I, I do believe that this is a way uh, to, to sort of uh, let the market decide what kids are worth. And, and, and in most cases, that's not a lot. In some cases, that's a significant amount. And it, I think it really kills the whole pay-for-play debate. And so I'm kind of hopeful it spreads. I, I'm, I'm very much against uh, athletic departments having a payroll. I'm very much against uh, going to college and getting a paycheck to play college sports. I, I think that that's a bad idea. I don't think it works. I don't think it conceptually makes any sense. Um, and it doesn't make any sense economically either for athletic departments. But this, the name and likeness debate, uh, I, I think would work. And, and I'm hopeful it spreads. Um, and, you know, how that legislative process works is, is going to be really interesting. So I guess the question I have is, and I think it's interesting, Barton, that you think there's a chance that, you know, if there's some zealous or overzealous, perhaps, boosters that, maybe it levels the playing field a little bit, which I think was interesting because I felt like it would be more of a separation between the haves and the have-nots because, you know, I don't know how many of these kids are somehow getting some money right now. Uh, you're in that world more than I am, and whether it's their high school coach or their AAU coach or their uncle gets a new car or whatever. Uh, but it just seems to me like if it's out in the open – the haves have a lot more money. You know, I I call a group of five games. I do power five games. There's a big difference. And there's even a big difference between the Blue Bloods and the other power five teams. And I have to imagine it means a lot more to those people. There's a lot more people willing to put more money into it as a result. I guess my question is, Barton, and maybe that's great. Maybe there's a market and kids get what they deserve. Do, will the kids get agents now? And how does it work now in some instances? And how will that change now in your mind? Because I don't I mean th these 15 year olds and their parents, I don't know if they'll know how to negotiate or how to handle that stuff. They already have agents. You know, they're called runners, they're called seven on seven coaches, they're called aunts and uncles. Um, you know, there's third party influence already in the NCAA is trying to tamp that down. They're trying to legislate against it. They're trying to create rules and, and create calendar shifts in the recruiting calendar that minimizes third-party influences. And, and I mean, Ross, look, to answer your question, yeah, I think probably 
there would be agents, <clears throat> but if they're but I think agents um, that could professionally sort of connect players and athletes with businesses that are willing to to pay for their image and likeness. Again, I, I'm I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. If anything, this is teaching kids business. It teaches kids, um, you know, their market value, their worth. Um, as to the other question about, um, you know, whether it separates the haves and the have-nots further, you may be right. I mean, it it, it very well might. I mean, I, I know the Red Elephant Club at Alabama is going to figure out a way to leverage this uh, to to help the Crimson Tide as as best as possible. But look, I'm sitting here in Nashville. And Vanderbilt doesn't have the alumni base of some of these others. It doesn't have the the rabid fan uh, interaction uh, of, of some of the other programs in the SEC. It doesn't have the facilities. But it's got a lot of competitive, rich alumni. It's got a big endowment. And, hey, if one or two of those guys decides, you know what, we're fed up with this, let's just cut out the middleman here, go straight to the players, and set up some sort of a structure that really makes Vanderbilt an appealing place to prospects because of the opportunities financially that they may be able to have um, through their their name and likeness and deals that they could make in the Vanderbilt community, um, that's great, in my opinion. I mean, that's a, that's an opportunity for kids to make some additional money, um, and it's an opportunity for Vanderbilt to, to to maybe cycle up if they can figure out a way to do this more effectively than some others. Maybe they don't, uh, but I think that's the bottom line: is is, is there could be shifting tiers of success based on who can really figure out the best way to operate within this framework. Talking with Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports and from CBS Sports, uh, Richard Sherman said he hopes this destroys the NCAA. What will be the impact on the NCAA? I don't know. I mean, I think the NCAA just needs to embrace it. I mean, I think this thing's coming, and the NCAA isn't helping itself by fighting it and, and, and pushing back and um, sort of closing their eyes and, and, and putting their, their fingers in their ears and saying uh, this isn't happening. Because it is. It is happening. So I think the best thing for the NCAA to do is to actually start working on how to best manage this. You know, how, how to best regulate the agents, how to best regulate, um, you know, how this whole uh, how this operation works, um, sort of the, the nuts and bolts of it and 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 get in front of it. And because, frankly, I think the NCAA does a lot of good, and I think the NCAA is an important organization uh, just functionally uh, for, for college sports to operate. Uh, but uh, to, to, to see this coming and to continue to deny it and to continue to, to close your eyes and, and, and wish it away, I think, is, is not productive. And so um, I sometimes think the NCAA gets a bad rap, uh, but I think this is an opportunity, and there's no indication they're going to do this, but I think this is an opportunity uh, to see a change, uh, a, a fundamental shift in the way college athletics and college athletes um, are, are kind of exist and, 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 and work with it and, and figure out a way to go with this flow and, and make it uh, the most constructive transition it can. Uh, one of the other rules that's come up recently, Barton, is the four-game redshirt rule. Uh, and if you look at it, whether it's the transfer portal, grad transfers, certainly with the new redshirt rule, the NCAA has been almost every year giving the student athletes more rights. This is the newest one. And I think just like this, this pay for name and likeness, 
you always get a little concerned about the unintended consequences. I don't think anybody thought when they instituted the four-game redshirt rule that you'd have a starting quarterback all of a sudden, in my mind, quit on his team in the middle of the season like you had in De'Eric King at Houston. What are your thoughts on the redshirt rule and specifically this kind of unintended consequence, which is very different from the Kelly Bryants or the Jalen Hurts of the world? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's fascinating how these things evolve and and, and what pops up. Um, ultimately, though, when we talk about a situation like this, it's, it is an outlier. I mean, Derek King, I mean, there's two ways this could go. Derek King is either telling us all the truth and he's planning on going back to Houston next year. And if that's the case, then this is essentially tanking. There's Dana Holgerson saying, um, agreeing to let, let sort of um, cut our losses this year, star quarterback, you can sit it out, we'll be better next year, come on back. I think more likely, this is De'Ara King saying, coach, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, um, to uh, convince me that you've got a plan for me and this is the right place for me to be next year. But in the meantime, um, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on some other depth charts. I'm going to keep an eye on who's going to the NFL. I'm going to keep an eye on whether opportunities are out there. And if those opportunities present themselves uh, and look, look appealing, I'm going to bounce. And I'm just going to bounce in December or January instead of right now. And so I, I think it's, it's really interesting to see how this has played out. But at the end of the day, this is another situation where I, I, don't, I don't have a huge problem with it. You know, I, I get it from a team standpoint um, that this is De'Eric King kind of kind of quitting on his team right now. And if it was my son, I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy with him. I wouldn't be advising him to do this. But I'm also looking at De'Eric King at a 5'8 quarterback who wants to play NFL football. And I'm saying, De'Eric King, you have one opportunity to, get, to, to put your resume together for the NFL. This could this could change your life. And so if you think the best thing for you to do is to take out, sit out this year to, to look towards next year and figure out a way to, to, to make your situation more appealing to the NFL, maybe that means training for another position. Maybe that means he's going to play wide receiver for someone next year, defensive back. I don't know. But bottom line is this is his one chance at this thing. And he does have NFL aspirations. And so I'm going to say, look, uh, from the outside looking in, go for it, brother. You know, do what you have to do to figure out what's best for you because ultimately, you know, it's only your life that we're talking about. Talking with Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports, the co-host of Cover 3 College Football Podcast. Another guy that uh, what's best for him, Trevor Lawrence, might have been to leave college football after one season and be a top pick in the NFL. But, of course, NCAA rules do not allow that. And now the surprising story of Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, is regression. Five interceptions already this season, four all of last year. What's happening with Trevor Lawrence? Are we overblowing his play, or is there something you see in his game that isn't matching up to where he was last season? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really not that concerned about Trevor Lawrence. Um, and, and one reason I'm not is I just go back to 2016. And and this was the, the Sean Watson uh, was – Heading to the NFL, he was, you know, Clemson was expected to, to play for a national title. Deshaun Watson threw 17 interceptions that year. Um, he was sitting right at about the same number of interceptions as, as Trevor Lawrence is right now at the same period. Um, and Clemson didn't look that sharp. They didn't look like sharp throughout the season. 
Uh, they just sort of survived, and then they got to the playoffs, and Sean Watson threw 400-plus yards and beat Alabama and goes in the first round. I, I really think that this is, for whatever reason, just kind of what Clemson does. And, and I think that Trevor Lawrence, all the skills remain there. I mean, the, the, the sudden body movement in the pocket, the ability to throw on the run, the athleticism, the sturdiness. He's taken some hits this year, and, and you're seeing that he's no longer that frail kid that he came into college looking like. Um, and uh, and he can still throw the ball downfield really well. You know, there's there's a lot of 50-50 jump balls in that Clemson offense, and uh, there, there's a lot of receivers that can can make you right, um, even if you're not m- making a great decision. But there's also opportunities uh, with that sort of setup for some interceptions. And I think we've seen those pop up. I think if you're looking for an actual reason for Trevor Lawrence's regression right now, it's it's the new personnel. It's settling into this new receiving core. And specifically, I'm talking about Hunter Renfro's gone. There's not that that underneath threat. That's that guy that can get you the the option route, the the create separation uh, in the one to ten range, the ten to twenty range. They still got the big long deep threats. Uh, they've got the guy they can give the jet sweep to in Amari Rogers, but he's a little bit of a different type of receiver than Hunter Renfro. So I think as we see Trevor Lawrence develop over the course of the year, it's it's going to be interesting to me whether we start to see someone step into a a more assertive role in those underneath routes and, and give him those easier throws uh, to keep a defense honest. Because, look, we've seen that the run game's not that great either right now. I mean, Travis Etienne's only got one, one game uh, all year where he's rushed for over 100 yards. So I think there's a lot that's still sort of getting settled right now in this Clemson offense that they will work out as the season progresses. Etienne's play surprised me more so than Lawrence. Last question, 10 seconds, best team in college football right now. Ohio State. I don't think there's any question. Defense, offense, quarterback, playmakers on line of scrimmage on the backfield. Um, I think Ohio State's got it all right now. Ohio State number one for Barton Simmons. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Really good stuff from Barton Simmons on the NCAA bill in California. His number one team, Trevor Lawrence, had some dropping some knowledge on you, Ross Tucker. You know what? I just realized talking with Barton, I love this new California rule. I want it to spread to every state as soon as possible. You know why? My alma mater's got some dudes with some seriously deep pockets. You ever heard of Jeff Bezos? You ever heard of a little company called Amazon? Princeton Football National Champions! Woo! Jeff, we can do, Jeff, together, we can do this. I'll put my hundred bucks in like I do every year to Princeton football. You bucks. give, I don't know, a billion that. dollars, maybe just a billion dollars over a three year period. We'll buy all the best players. They'll all come to Princeton. We'll win national championships. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Amazon on home and home. It'll be like an even trade. Billion dollars for the Prince of Football team. I mentioned Amazon multiple times, radio.com slash home or on the radio.com app. Princeton Football National Champion. I can see the <laughs> banner now. Whoa, the partnership between Amazon and Princeton. It is a good question, though, what it would mean to Ivy League schools. And just think, who has more money in the world? Well, Bezos, yes, but look at the Harvard Endowment. Nobody's got a bigger endowment than Harvard. That sure would be the Wild West. 
I think we're all for it. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Ross Tucker tried everything, everything at Chick-fil-A. He's going to break that down in careful analysis that he brings to the NFL. And also, oh, my Denver Broncos. Good God. First, they were in a world of suck, said Emmanuel Sanders. And now it was 13 more weeks for me, Chris Harris. What is happening with John Elway's once proud organization? We'll discuss all that after a quick break. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 